going to be a great day. It already has been. Man, we have already had, um, man, so many chances to be touched by the Holy Spirit, to have a moment with the Lord this morning. You know, worship is powerful. Lisa, we were talking this morning in our uh, morning roundup with our volunteers. Man, worship is powerful. And, and, you know, worship, the Bible says, if it's real worship, it's in spirit and truth. That means worship and the word go hand in hand. You know, they go hand in hand. If you don't know the word, if you don't know the word, that's the spirit. That's, that's the truth. So it, it filters into our worship. So it's funny. It's a bit um, misleading to call the music part of our worship service, worship. Uh, it is worship. It's one of the vehicles that worship travels on while we're all gathered here together. You know, giving is also an act of worship. And, of course, it all goes hand in hand with the word. And even as we sit and listen to the word, as I speak to you, or, or as Chuck spoke last week, given that testimony, man, it, it, it all goes together. And, and it's an act of worship to sit and listen but the word is what goes on the inside of us and changes us. We can have a moment in worship that leaves us different and marks us. I've been there. I've had moments in worship that I've written about in my journals that, that completely uh, put my, my life on the course that I'm on. It was moments in worship where the Lord spoke to me. When I was 15, sitting right there where Jaron's sitting, and Mike Cavell, who's in the back, was leading worship. This would have been... 25 years ago now, when I was 15, I, I was sitting right there worshiping, and I heard the Lord say, instead of being concerned about dating, wait for the girl I'm bringing to your life to marry, and just spend your teenage years seeking me. That's a lot for a kid to hear, but I was 15, and I heard that, and I said yes, and then those next three to four years, not worrying about earthly relationships, just going after the Lord that marked my life. It was a moment of worship. But what happened was the day after he told me that, I woke up early the next day and I picked up my Bible and I started reading my Bible every day. The moment in worship changed me and then the word marked me. The word kept the change real. The word kept it going. If you've ever had a, a summer camp experience or as an adult, you might call it the conference experience. When you go somewhere and you get really fired up. And then you go back to the real world. For some of us, it means snotty kids at home, and, and it means figuring out how to do homework in the middle of basketball season and, and drama season, uh, drama production season. My, my daughter's at practice every day, and you have to figure out how to do homework, and it's like, how can I keep this fire going? And, and Lisa was even prophesying about that up here. When we can change our mindset, and it says in Colossians, when we do everything as unto the Lord, it's all acts of worship when we have the Lord as a part of our life and moments in worship like we had this morning, like we've had these past few Sundays, and like I'm fully expecting us to continue to have. They can mark you. They can leave you changed. The Word keeps the fire burning. The Word keeps the fire burning. Signs and wonders are amazing. Encounters with the Lord are are amazing. But let me tell you, if you are following signs and trying to get from encounter to encounter, that is not what the word says. The word says these signs will follow those who believe. They'll heal the sick, cast out demons. We'll have that if we're following the signs everywhere, the signs aren't following us. Stay where you're planted. Stand still. Seek the Lord where you're at. You don't have to be anywhere else. And signs will begin to follow you wherever you go. 
So enjoy these moments we have together in worship. Enjoy these moments. And then whether you're hearing the word from me or somebody else here on a Sunday morning or hearing it somewhere else, remember, hopefully, the most you're getting the word is from your own personal time in the word. That's the most important thing. Remember, that is what sustains you. That is what sustains you. And if you've never felt steady in your life, let the word sustain you. Man, I bet you you could uh, uh, look back at your life and see the times you were, in, were, were very steady was probably very proportional to how much you were in the word and how much you were allowing the word to go in. What, was your, what were your thoughts centered around? We don't just read it. We read it. We meditate on it. We don't just hear it. We hear it. We meditate on it. And as, as much as we let other things in here have space, word needs to be number one, and it will sustain all the excitement will sustain that fire through every part of life. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Ooh, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this time we've already had together. Thank you that we'll be inspired today to act upon your word now. And we'll see it active in our lives and our homes. Amen. All right. How many of you appreciated, we're here last week or watched online, how many of you appreciated Chuck's testimony? Man, that impacted me. It impacted me the first time he told me, just me and him. It impacted me the second time I heard it, which was at our men's meeting, FC Cool Guys, a few weeks back. And then it impacted me the third time I heard him tell that testimony, which was right here. You know, there wasn't enough times I could hear that. I've learned something about testimonies. There are times I'll tell people testimonies that they told me and they'll have forgotten. And I'm like, what do you mean you've forgotten? That was your testimony. I remember it like it was yesterday because it got me excited, but this person forgot and I'm like, how did you forget your testimony? And I think a lot of times we can we uh, stay encouraged if we remind ourselves of our own testimony. If you're in the year through the Bible program that a lot of us are doing here, we just read about the children of Israel leaving Egypt and the signs that, 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 that God sent, the, the plagues, the, the angel of death passing over the Hebrews because the blood of the lamb was smeared over their door. We read about these signs, and already at least twice during their time in the desert, the Lord has told them with his own voice, remember what happened when I brought you out of Egypt. They kept forgetting their own testimony. Why? How do I know they kept forgetting their own testimony? Because every time they got hungry, they started saying, we were better off in Egypt. They, were, they could see the presence of the Lord in front of them in a cloud in the day of fire in the night. They witnessed the plagues just ravaging Egypt, yet where they lived, which was in the same city, just their neighborhood stayed completely whole. When it was dark everywhere else, they still had light where they lived. When everybody else, the, the cattle were dying and there was disease, they were healthy. When hell came from the sky and destroyed everything in Egypt, their homes remained intact. And just a few weeks later, they're in the desert and they're like, we're going to die of thirst. We're going to die of hunger because they kept forgetting their testimony. And there are so many times in our lives we don't remember our own testimony and we instead uh, latch on to anxiety and fear, right? We latch on, how am I going to make it through this? And there's probably angels all around you that have been assigned to you and they're like, Remember last time you got through this. It just happened a few weeks ago, and I got you through. The bills were due last month, too, and they got paid. Just keep going. Just keep going. We got to remember our own testimony. 
Keep remembering your testimony. I'm so thankful for Chuck and what he spoke last week about speaking life. If y'all were here, you know I didn't even uh, preach. I didn't even feel the need to, really. I introduced speaking life. I introduced speaking life into our homes, and then I passed it to Chuck, and that was a powerful testimony and word that he gave us. It was, it was more than that. He read straight from the word. Uh, man, that was awesome. So I'm going to wrap that up, speaking life. I'm going to wrap up speaking life today, and I'm wrapping this series up called Home. If you have been here, if you've listened to these last, I believe today is the fifth week about our home series, based on the fact that just like on the inside of us, every believer, the Holy Spirit produces what kind of fruit? Peace, joy, love, righteousness, meekness, self, uh, selflessness. Uh, that's it's in a different word there. I got distracted. But uh, self-discipline, meekness, goodness above against these, there is no law. The Holy Spirit produces that within us. And as we say yes to the fruits of the Spirit in our own lives, our home begins to be filled up with all of those things. Love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, goodness, long-suffering, self-control. And when our home is filled up with these fruits... The people in our home that live there, the people that come visit us, don't need to go anywhere else and try to find the cheap copy the world gives. Nobody's going to go off trying to find a cheap joy that fades away because they got the real thing right there at home. And it doesn't start with me trying to control everybody else in my home. You will be joyful. You will be peaceful. You will be self-disciplined. Now, as a parent, that is something I want to put into my kids, especially the self-discipline part. I need to help them along the way. But I can't control them or anybody else. However, right here, I can control myself. How do I know I have self-control? It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And as those fruits are produced in my life, that is the fruit of my home. The environment of my home begins to look like what it really is. If your home is not peaceful, if it's chaotic, if it's, if it's a place where you feel depressed, if it's a place where you feel anxiety, that's not the real you and that's not the real atmosphere. Your home is mimicking the atmosphere of the world, but the real deal and the real environment of your home, maybe right now it's buried underneath some of that stuff you've let in, but the real environment of your home is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, meekness. We have to allow that fruit to be produced in us first and foremost, and one of the ways we do it and maybe, according to James and Paul in the New Testament, maybe the main way we do it is our words. How many of you have this thing on the inside of you that knows exactly what to say at the exact time? And you know I'm about to start a fire with these words right now. I can bring peace into this situation or I can bring strife into this situation. If you have been a friend of someone's for years, you know exactly what to say that can get under their skin. You know exactly what to say that can help calm them down. If you've been married for any number of years, if, well, if you've been married for any number of hours, you might know exactly <laughs> what to say that can get under somebody's skin or that can bring peace to a situation. I was walking through this very sanctuary just a few weeks back and showed the guys who haven't quite been married as long as I have exactly what to do if you want to ruin a perfectly good day, right? I've, I've shown my friends exactly what to do and say 
if you want to ruin a perfectly good day, hopefully they've seen some good stuff too. But with your words, you can start a fire. You can put out a fire. With your words, you can bring life. You can bring death. And it's not just something we talk about in the world. This is a spiritual principle. And as powerful as you think your words are, they are probably even more powerful. I have two main points today. And the first is, is kind of got two parts, so maybe you want to call it three. But the first here is that words set the course for your life. Words set the course for your life. This is a spiritual principle. It comes from the book of James, chapter 3, verses 2 through 12. And I'm going to read a little bit here and talk about it. So we'll start at the beginning, verse 2. This is James talking. He wrote this letter, and he says, Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Can you relate? I can relate. Have we, have we made many mistakes? Maybe some of us today. Yeah, I have, actually, already. Uh, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Let's stop right there for a second. If we could control our tongues, we could control ourselves in every other way. That's a broad statement. That's a broad statement. But think about an area in your life where you have maybe lost control, right? Maybe it is your physical diet. Maybe your diet is out of control and you keep trying new diets. You keep trying new things. You keep trying to find a thing that's suited to you for your lifestyle and you just haven't been able to land on anything well, I want to encourage you to take a break, not, not, not weeks or anything. Take a, a break more in your thoughts trying to figure things out. And let's go back to what the Word says. If we could control our tongues, we could control ourselves in every other way. Take a break and start thinking about what are you speaking over yourself? What are you speaking over your diet? When you, when you jump off of it, do you call somebody right away and say, I just can't do this. I just can't stick to this. Do you say that to yourself? Do you look at yourself in the mirror after you've eaten something that's not on the diet plan? Are, are your thoughts about yourself things that God doesn't think about you? Do you look at yourself and think you can't do it? You've never been able to. You have no self-discipline. Are these the thoughts you're thinking? Are these the words you're speaking? Start with your words. Begin to control your words and watch other things line up. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. So he's talking about big ships that carry cargo, that carry lots and lots of people. And he's saying these massive things that are subject, really, to even the winds that are coming against it or that are pushing it along. And, and he even mentions strong winds are coming against it. Yet this small piece of wood or steel, whatever a rudder was made of back then, whatever it's made of now, one of the smallest pieces of that giant ship controls every movement, controls which way it goes, and even helps it navigate through strong storms. And he compares our tongue, the words we are saying, to that. So maybe some of the storms we face, we feel like they're not going to stay on. Maybe we feel like we're not making it through. If we're not walking on the water in the middle of the storm like Jesus did, we're not making it through storms like we could. Because we've said this a lot too. As he is in this world, so are we right now. Storms come against us. Things come against us. Wind blows. There are problems. And there is 
things we will face in this life. Stress, issues, strong winds. But James says, go back to right here. What are you saying? What are you declaring? Just like a small piece of that ship navigates it through strong winds, your tongue, your words can navigate you through the strong winds that come against you in this world. He says it's a small thing that makes grand speeches. I've made some grand speeches. If you've if you ever planned an argument out, have you ever in your head thought, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to say. When this person says this, oh, you better watch out. And then in the moment, I mean, you start, you start throwing in ums, you stumble through it. It has nowhere the impact you thought it had. And then after the moment, you're driving away and you're like, this is exactly what I should have said. Why do I never say it? And you think of the best things after. Right? We know the damage we can do with our mouth, with our words. It makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. I've set some things on fire with my tongue, but you know there's, there's bad fire and there's good fire. Right. right? There's fire that sets things on fire, that sets things ablaze that aren't meant to burn, and they get out of control, and man, you hear about wildfires all the time. It seems like you're always hearing about wildfires these last few years, and, and they can get out of control. But you know, also good kind of fire. There's also the fire that keeps you warm in the winter. There's fire that, that cooks your food. There is fire. We need fire to survive. But when the fire, whatever kind it is, is out of control, it's not good. You have to keep control of the fire. And the same with your tongue and your words. Man, you can get out of control with the fires you're setting with your tongue. But when you're speaking words of life, man, you're speaking things that keep people alive. You're keeping the fire burning and control of it in a good way. We have to be aware of what we're saying, and what we're saying needs to be the word of God. Let's go back to the word right here. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. Corrupting your entire body. What if some of our actual health problems are because we've just sat around talking about how unhealthy we are? We're declaring, just like my mom, just like my dad, I'm going to have this same problem when that's actually not what the word says. The word says curses, generational, and any other have been broken. We don't have to deal with those same things. Maybe that's the words we need to speak. It's not just magic words. It's living, alive words instead of dead words that only bring curses, that only bring death. It can set your whole life on fire. For it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, fish, but no one can tame the tongue. No one. So should I give up? Absolutely not, because you are not no one. You are someone that is filled with the Holy Ghost. You are someone who is filled with the righteousness of Christ. You are not no one. You have self-control because of the Holy Spirit. Without him, good luck. But with him... You have self-control. You are not no one. No one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. Who has been made in the image of God? That's a good answer. Everyone. You're, the people you like? Yeah. People you don't like? Yes. If they're alive, if they're breathing, if they're human. 
They've been made in the image of God. Sometimes your tongue praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. So don't be salty. Some of y'all know that's a word people use now. You're like, I'm just, I'm a little salty today. That means you are giving yourself permission to talk a little junk, right? I'm just a little salty. Don't give yourself permission to talk a little junk. Turn the salt off. Don't be salty. Be, be salt and light. That was not in my notes, but you know what? Maybe we'll do a whole series called Don't Be Salty. Be, be salt. Words set the course for your life. What if we are in the very situations we're in right now because these are words we spoke six years ago? Because these are words we spoke six months ago. I mean, let's put that into perspective. How many marriages end because of words that were spoken in the past? I mean, this isn't an idea that is super far out there. This is something that we can put into perspective very easily. Marriages, relationships end because of words that were spoken a lot of times. We are in the situations we are in because of words. Sometimes we lose jobs because of words we choose to speak. Sometimes we get jobs because of words we choose to speak. I met a guy last year, and he introduced himself and said, you might know me, and he told me some reality show that he was on, and I said, no, I never saw the show. And he says, oh, well, maybe you saw the clip. I'm the guy that looked at the camera and cussed the billionaire out and told him he could take his money and I told him where to put his money. And I was like, I, I, I'm sorry, man. I, I didn't see the viral video either. He's like, no, I'm sure you did. Like, I'm the guy. And I was like, I'm sorry, man. I, I'm glad to meet you, but I didn't see the video. <laughs> well, our words can set the course for our life. We all have seen this in our own lives. This is not some figurative idea that is super, some, 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 some thing that's super far out there. This is real. Your words set the course of your life. And here's another thing, and this is the second point here, the, or, or, or the second half of this first point. Not only do they set the course for your life, every one of the words you speak is either filled with life or death. They're either filled with life or death. This is, from, this is from the Word, and, you know, the New Testament, for the most part, was written in Greek. And there are some things that get a little bit lost in translation when you translate something to a different language. So you hear me a lot of times go back to the Greek. And, and uh, I'm going to tell you about the word life in Greek and the word death in Greek because they have a literal meaning, which means to live or to die. But they each also carry figurative meanings, so meanings that go beyond just what's on the surface and we can pull a little bit more from this as we look uh, in, in the different language here. So this, the reference here is Proverbs 18.21. And uh, I'm going to read this real quick. I'm going to actually open my Bible and read it. So Proverbs 18.21, it's a really good one. And it's, it's one that I know Lisa and I, we call them one of our life verses. 
Those who love to talk will experience the consequences, for the tongue can kill or nourish life. There's another translation you might be more familiar with. It says life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat the fruit thereof. So you're either speaking life or death with your tongue, and the fruit of that life or death is what you are eating. Last week I said your words that you speak are kind of like the meal that you prepare for anybody that comes into your house. And, you know, if you're not a good cook, people might not want to come to your house for dinner. And if you are a good cook, they might want to come to your house for dinner. And if you're not a good cook, you know how to prepare a good dinner. You order from a nice restaurant, you go pick it up, you plate it, and you add a little salt, and you say, I made this just for y'all. And you know what? It's pretty mostly true. If you add something to it, you basically made the dish that's prepared right there. No, I'm joking because we don't do that at our house. Lisa is an amazing cook, and if she cooks for you, it's going to be good. But if people are not coming to your house or if they are not a part of your life like you'd like for them to be, they might not like the meal you're cooking. They might not like the words you're speaking. That might not be nourishment for them. It might feel a little bit more like death. It might make them feel bad when they leave your presence, right? And, And that could be someone as close as your kid, your spouse, a friend, or anybody else. But in the Greek, the word life here in the Bible, which of course Proverbs was written in Hebrew, in the New Testament, this word, they have very similar meanings in, in both languages. Life in the literal translation means to be alive, but the figurative translation is to revive, to strengthen, to preserve, to recover, to repair, to restore. So let's just break down this verse for a second. Revitalization is in the power of your words. Strength is in the power of your words. Perseverance is in the power of your words. Recovery is in the power of your words. Restoration is in the power of your words. I mean, a coach can give a good speech to a team that's losing at halftime. They come out of the, they come out of the huddle looking like a whole different team. They turn it around in the second half. Words are powerful. They can bring restoration, recovery, perseverance, strength, revitalization. But also the word death, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And the word death means to die. The figurative translation means pestilence, ruin, destruction, crying. Pestilence is in the power of your words. Ruin is in the power of your words. You can ruin someone. You can ruin yourself with your words. Destruction is in the power of your tongue. Sorrow is in the power of your tongue. Just like food that carries either good stuff or bad stuff, your words carry either good stuff or bad stuff. And with this definition, you could read Proverbs 18.21 like this. A very contagious, fatal disease is in the power of your tongue or your words. A very contagious, fatal disease is in the power of your words. Or there's something else in there. Life-giving, revitalization, strength is in the power of your words. And you're going to eat the fruit of every one of them that you speak. Are you eating the fruit of revitalization? Are you eating the fruit of strength? Are you experiencing the good stuff or are you experiencing ruin, destruction, pestilence? It starts right here with your words. Why are words We're made in the image of God. Remember that question? How many of us are here made in the image of God? Every one of us. You're made in the image of God. Our Father, God, did not create the world with His hands and and clay. He created the world with His words. He spoke everything into existence, and everything exists because of His words. Do you know scientists still, I said this just a few weeks ago, but it blows my mind. It blows my mind. Scientists cannot figure out why atoms stay together. 
They don't know what the force is called that keeps them together. They can't, find, they can't figure it out. We know we can split an atom and, and see the biggest explosions out there known to man, but why don't they do it on their own? Nobody knows. And it's the very word of God that formed them that way that keeps even the very atoms of our existence. Everything is made of atoms. This floor, you, your fingernails, your hair, your brain, these walls, they all got atoms at the base and they stay together because God just told them to stay together. <coughs> Words are powerful. They are powerful. You are made in the image of God and your words contain life or death you choose but here's the thing if you're not sure what words of life are you can start with speaking positive things cut out some of the negative stuff but here's the thing it can't just be positive here's the last point I'm gonna make today it can't just be positive nice things that is not always the Word of God God is always kind it's part of who he is love is patient love is kind if you want to know what the nature of God is it says God is love God is patient God is kind. God is never jealous, never proud or rude. God doesn't demand his way. That one will blow your mind if you think about that long enough. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. God, because uh, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a feature of love, which means it's a feature of God. He doesn't demand his way. God forgets wrongs that are done. That's why he doesn't remember your sins, right? He forgets the wrongs others do. God weeps over injustice. I hope we all weep over injustice a little bit because there's a whole lot of it out there. I hope we don't just write it off. I hope we don't try to figure out who deserved it and who didn't. I hope we just take a minute sometimes and weep when we see injustice in the news, right? And just like God weeps over injustice, he rejoices when truth prevails. God protects, God trusts, God hopes, God perseveres, God never fails. That's his nature. It's the nature of love. One of the things that love is not, it's not listed in that, is nice. Just think about it for a second here. Love is always kind. And as believers, anything we say or do has to be in love or it's not worth saying or doing. Apostle Paul said we could cast out demons. And if it's not in love, it's just vain. We could speak this. But if it's not in love, it's just a clinging symbol. There's a lot of people sitting on soapboxes that have a big following online they're speaking things from here but they're not doing it in love and it might be a little bit worse than a clinging symbol honestly it has to be done in love but one of the things that is not a feature of love is niceness we live in a world right now where it seems like the world is preaching the number one thing the worst thing you could ever do is not be nice Right? You're not nice to somebody. You don't even know you're not nice to them. You say something they don't agree with, and all of a sudden, you're getting canceled or whatever it is because you weren't nice to somebody. Now, I'm not saying go out and be mean, but I'm saying sometimes the truth isn't nice. It's just true. I don't necessarily think that I'm being nice when I have to punish my children. I'm being kind because hopefully through this punishment, they're going to learn a lesson, and next time they think I'm going to do this thing I just got punished for, they'll remember the punishment at the very least, and they'll say, I don't want to get punished, so I'm not going to do this thing that's bad for me. It's not nice when I take the PlayStation away for like a week, right? It is kind, though. <laughs> oh, Mom said amen. <laughs> it wasn't nice when Jesus went and turned over tables in the temple. It wasn't nice when he looked at the religious people and said, brood of vipers, you're leading these people to their graves. 
but he made a stand, and it was kindness. The best example I've ever seen of this, realistically, some of you have heard this story, but it's the best example I can think of it. We had a friend who years ago, Lisa and I, made a surprise visit to their house. And the house was, when I say shambles, it was in shambles. I mean, it was, there was animal waste that hadn't been cleaned up. There was food that was weeks old, stuck to plates under, under couches. And this is a family with, with children that were in school and it was bad. We, we just stopped in, thought it'd be okay. We, we visited with him and acted like we didn't see the mess. And uh, we left. And we were nice in that moment. We were nice. We acted like we didn't see anything. And uh, a few days later, this person came up to Lisa and she said, I'm so sorry about my house. I'm so sorry you guys surprised us. I didn't have a chance to clean. I can promise you one thing. That an hour of cleaning wouldn't have done any good. She said, I I'm so sorry you, what you saw and you know, it hasn't been like that. I, I'm sorry. And Lisa said she was putting her hand up to go to her shoulder. And what she was going to say, and this is, I mean this when I say it, what her flesh wanted to say was, it wasn't that bad. Don't worry about it. But then the spirit rose up within her, and she said something that wasn't super nice. Lisa put her hand on her shoulder, and she said, it was terrible. And your house shouldn't look like that. It should be in order. I'm going to come to your house tomorrow morning with gloves and some spray and some things, and we're going to clean your house, you and I. We're going to clean it from top to bottom until we get every part clean. And Lisa went to her house the next day, and they spent about 14 hours of the day scrubbing floors, cleaning plates, until the house was clean from top to bottom. You know, it wasn't nice to let her know that we noticed the mess. It wasn't nice to say it was terrible, but it was kind to say it was terrible, but we can fix this together. We can go in this thing together and make a difference. Kindness and niceness are not the same. So we have to know, first of all, what the word says before we can speak it. Because the word is not just happy-go-lucky positive words. Sometimes I get accused of just being positive, happy-go-lucky. I think a big problem that people see is that really the good news is actually good news. And when I'm speaking the word and when you're speaking the word, it is all positive. It brings joy However, there is an element sometimes that's not nice when you have to look at somebody and say it's not okay. Yeah. It's not okay. But I'm not leaving you there. Let's go into your mess together. Isn't that what Jesus did? He didn't look down at the world and say, you know what? You guys are all right. You'll be okay. No, he said you're not okay. And then he came and got into our mess with us. In fact, the very arrival, birth is a mess. He arrived in a mess. He lived in a mess. And then he became a mess. And he went to the grave and he rose in a sanctified body and there was no more mess. And then he said, and I'm going to give you my spirit and that will clean up your mess. Because you need it. Because you need that spirit. When we're speaking words of life, first of all, we have to know them. Because it's not just thinking, oh, I'll be positive. I'll be happy. No, it's got to be words of life. It's got to be these words. You have to get to know this. If this isn't in your heart, then I don't know that you're going to be able to speak words of life into every situation. Because they're not always nice, but they're always kind. Hebrews 4, 12 says, The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Sharper than a two-edged sword. Let's go to the Greek again. 
the Greek word two-edged is actually a combination of two Greek words. And the first one means two, and the second one means mouth. So we have an image of a sword, at least I do. I had this G.I. Joe figure when I was a kid. His name was Chebang, and he had a sword that was blue, because swords come in blue. And at the end of the sword, it split off into two edges, right? I don't know if there's real swords like this that looked kind of cartoony, but I liked it. I always pictured that sword when I read this verse, and, and also in Revelation where it said Jesus had a sword, double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. But really a better translation than double-edged sword here is two-mouthed sword. In other words, here's how you speak words of life. First of all, they have to be put on the inside of you. First of all, the words that God spoke with John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word was spoken before the beginning of time as we know it. Before our world was established, before the foundations of the mountains and the oceans were put in place, the Word was real. The Word had already been spoken. And when we pick this up and we read these words of life, Boom, one mouth, God spoke it, it goes into us as a rhema word. We dwell on it. It becomes a part of us. Let's go back to Proverbs chapter 18. It says, out of the abundance of the heart, our mouth speaks. So the word is spoken by God. It goes to the inside of us. It lives somewhere in here for a time. And then with a second mouth, our own, we speak it. And when we speak a rhema word of God, it cuts asunder. It cuts down the enemy. It cuts into our very situation and makes a difference. It cuts into the very atmosphere of our home. And it changes it from an atmosphere of chaos to an atmosphere of peace. It changes it to an atmosphere of a dark cloud of depression. And changes it into an atmosphere of joy. It changes it from an atmosphere of sin and self-centeredness and turns it into an atmosphere of righteousness and self-control. The word is spoken with one mouth at the beginning of time. And then we receive it. We hear it. We think about it. We dwell on it. It lives here. And then with a second mouth, there's nothing more powerful than when you speak the word of God. It's a double-edged sword and it cuts down the enemy and cuts into our situations, cuts away things that don't belong, and, and puts things where they do belong. It brings order. The word goes in us and cuts like a sword. We meditate on it. It permeates into our thoughts. It goes into our heart, and out of our heart we speak. And that's that second blade, and it's powerful. It's not just say good things. I do agree with every mom every grandmother's good advice to us if you can't say anything good just don't talk right if you can't say anything good it's better not to but let me tell you what the best thing is speak and speak words of life they'll be filled with love they'll be filled with patience they'll be filled with kindness they'll be filled with joy They'll be filled with long-suffering. They'll be filled with meekness. They'll be filled with goodness. They'll be filled with self-control. And as your words filled with those things enter the atmosphere of your home, enter your children's ears, your spouse's ears, your friend's ears, your very situation, everything will change. James says it will set the course for your life. I mean, you can apologize once you say something you don't mean, but those words still go in. People remember them, right? You can apologize, but you can't take it away. You can forgive. I don't know if you can forget. That's hard, right? We all still remember things. And what if 
our words just weren't forgettable? What if people wanted to remember every word we spoke? I promise you, when you're speaking words of life, when you're speaking with that double-edged sword, people won't even know what hit them. Remember, the word is alive. It is active. Why do I feel so good when I'm around you? Remember those guys? They said, why did our hearts, they burned within us when this guy was talking to us. It must have been Jesus. His spirit lives in you. Maybe someone's going to leave your presence. and Man, why does my heart burn when you talk to me? Why do I get excited about life where I've been depressed when you're talking to me? Why do, when you're talking to me, why do I feel like everything's going to work out? And then I leave and I think, okay, this isn't going to be good because you're speaking the words of life. It's your choice. If you're a believer, it's your choice. It's your word. It's you deciding what to speak. Amen? Amen. Man, your house is a house filled with joy. Your house is a house filled with peace. Your house is a house filled with kindness. Just agree with it. Just agree with what the word says. Begin to speak it and watch things change. Amen. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to respond with some worship. And then I'm going to close this out. Well, I'll have prayer ministers come up. I'll close this out. I want to encourage you to, to read about some of this for your own. I mean, you can hear me speak this. And, and it can inspire you, but there's nothing like getting the word for yourself. I read from James chapter 3 today. And if you have been sitting here thinking, this is exactly for me. I need to watch my words. I can go back into my life and I can, I can think of messes that I was in because of my words right now. Then I want you to take some time for yourself. You know how, how I find a lot of things in the Bible? I use this tool. I don't know if everybody knows about it. You might not know about it. It's, it's got a weird name. It's called Google. It's a weird name. It's a weird tool. But you can actually get it on your phone, and you, you hit the button on your phone, and there's a bar. It's called a search bar. Sometimes that's a little bit hard to find. But you touch the search bar, and then a keyboard will pop up on your phone. And if you want to find Bible verses about words, you can type in Bible verses about words. And then all the ones will pop up. And you can read them right there on Google, or you can go to your Bible app or your actual real Bible, and you can read it. It's a powerful tool. And if you didn't know about it, now you know. That means there's no excuse. Nobody in here has an excuse to not go look up stuff for themselves in the Bible. I always hear that whole, I don't know where to start. We'll start with your situation. What are you going through? Google a Bible verse about your situation and go read it. If this message about, I'll apologize for my sarcasm. My mom is looking at me right now. I can tell she thinks you were just way too sarcastic from the pulpit. So I'm sorry for all that sarcasm. I'll apologize for that right now. I thought it was more funny than, than cruel. I hope you did too. Um, but the truth is, Google it. Uh, James chapter 3 is all about our words, and there's so many more verses in the Bible about words. So look them up. Just Google it. Go home and read about the power of your words. Get it on the inside of you. And then let no word come out of your mouth in vain. Let no word come out of your mouth that exalts itself against the Lord or His promises. Get things like, I'm sick, I'm depressed, out of your language. Get things like, I'm anxious, I'm fearful out of your language get things like we're headed for divorce out of your language get things like we'll never get along 
out of your language. Get things like, I'm the bottom of the barrel. I'm, I'm no good. Nobody likes me. Get all that out of your language and begin to declare who you are in the Spirit. It's all right there in the Word. So on the inside, you look just like Jesus. And sometimes our outside doesn't mimic that. But if you stick with the book of James, you'll read that he wrote, there's a mirror that we have to look in to see what we look like. We probably all looked in a physical mirror this morning. Make sure our hair was fixed. Make sure the outfit was all right. James says we have a spiritual mirror too. And if we don't look into it, we won't know what we look like. The spiritual mirror is called the Word. And as we look into it, we'll see, oh my gosh, I'm not the bottom of the barrel. This says I'm the head, not the tail. Why am I not acting like it? It'll change you. This says I'm not an addict. I don't have to be an addict for the rest of my life. This says I've been freed because there's liberty where the Spirit is. And find out who you are and speak it out to yourself. Speak out to other people who they are. Speak the word. Speak life. It's a choice for every single one of us. Let's all stand. Life and death are in the power of your tongue. It can set the course of your life. Let's choose to speak the word into every situation. And watch that double-edged, double-mouthed sword cut into every situation. Cut away everything that doesn't belong. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship for just a few moments. Let's respond to the word.